Now that bariatric surgery is behind you, have you been considering plastic surgery? Do you have a lot of questions before you take this next step? Well, stay right where you are because plastic surgeon Dr. Omar Betis is in the house answering your questions. Now available, try ProCare Health's three newest products at an amazing price. Get a bag of whey protein powder, a bag of our new multi-flavored mocktail calcium chews, and our new soft chew multivitamin, all for less than $75. Visit ProCareNow.com and enter Susan 10 to save even more. Hi, I'm registered dietitian, nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell, ex-radio dietitian turned podcaster. You're listening to the Bariatric Surgery Success Podcast, episode number 110. I'm here to help you cut through that health hype, give you accurate, evidence-based nutrition information worthy of all your efforts. Simple step-by-step strategies that can change your life now. I want you to feel well every day. Get out there and do the things you want to do. This podcast is for you. Joining me today is plastic surgeon, Dr. Omar Betis. Dr. Betis is a board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon with the Orlando Help Aesthetic and Reconstructive Surgery Institute. He specializes in not only breast surgery, but also body contouring after weight loss. And guess what? He also founded Orlando Health Surgery After Weight Loss Program. It's the first of its kind in the southeastern United States. And Dr. Betis also works with bariatric dietitian Gail Smith, who joins me regularly on the podcast. You can find his contact information in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Betis. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm going to start with a broad question. When you see a potential plastic surgery patient for the very first time, what are some of the most common questions you are asked and how do you respond? So typically, that's a great question. Typically, patients um, want to know what's the right procedure for them. Um, And a lot of times that's a difficult determination to make without doing an in-person exam. Um, Although there are a lot of surgeries that we can offer uh, virtual consultation and make a pretty good plan uh, just based off of pictures and a discussion with the patient. Um, I would say the other questions we commonly get are things like what's the recovery time, how much time off of work, um, and ultimately what I'm trying to do, and I feel like this is more impo- the most important part for me, is can I meet the patient's expectations um, or can we um, meet the patient's goals and what they're trying to accomplish with the surgery they're asking about or do we need to talk about a different surgery? Um, so I would say for me that's the most important thing, although it and I, I imagine it's also very important for the patient, but um, I think a lot of times patients are fixated on one surgery and one outcome, but those two things don't always match. Hey, that's such a great statement. I'm so glad you said that. I love that you are looking at a personal approach, that it's not just a one-size-fits-all. You know, I see that in the diet world all the time. Everybody thinks it's a one-size-fits-all. And nutrition is so personalized. And I'm glad to hear you say the very same thing about plastic surgery. We have a ton of questions because I put this out. I let our members of my private Facebook group know that you're coming on and going to be a guest and said, what Mm -hmm. would you like to know? What are your questions? Well, get ready (laughs) because they have a lot of them. So let's answer some if you don't mind. And I'm going to start with Kim. Kim wants to know, 
how long after my weight loss surgery should you wait to do skin removal? And a second part, is there an ideal body fat percentage where you should be before plastic surgery? Uh, So great questions. Um, The first question, how long you should wait, uh, that will typically vary from patient to patient. Uh, But the the recommendation is generally one year, at least one year after weight loss surgery, um, as well as a stable weight for at least three, if not even six months. Um, it's a, not a great idea to do plastic surgery when patients are in that acute phase that first six months where they're dropping weight very rapidly. Um, and some patients take longer than others to get to their, um, let's call it their plateau um, or co- their final weight. Uh, and so some patients take one year to get there. Other patients may take five years. Other patients may take longer. Um, and so we want the weight to be stable for three to six months um, on, a, on a stable routine. Um, as sorry, yeah, I was going to say. I, I think that again, that's so important. It's very personalized, and that's the the message that I can already hear clearly that you're making is that plastic surgery is personal and personalized. And, and that's just terrific. So yes, I'm interested to hear about the body fat percentage and actually how much weight you put on that when you're deciding about a procedure. So I personally put zero zero weight yeah. on that. Um, I don't know. That's what I wondered. <laughs> I don't know how many um, plastic surgeons look at body fat percentage. Um, I just don't think there's any evidence-based data behind having a certain body fat percentage to have plastic surgery. Now, there is a lot of evidence behind BMI and risk of complications, um, as well as uh, a lot of surgeons will tell you the results just are not as aesthetic, shall we say. I don't want to say good because good is subjective. Um, but not as aesthetic at BMIs above, I typically tell patients really above 32. Um, and if you want, you know, you'll get it below 32, you'll get a good result below 28 BMI, you'll get a great result. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that someone that a BMI of 35 cannot have surgery. I just tell them, uh, and I show them with pictures and other examples of my previous patients, what to expect if your BMI is higher, um, or you have a certain body type. So you know, a patient with a BMI of 40, I'm going to show them a picture of someone who's maybe has a BMI of 38 or 42, and this is the result. Um, so don't expect the result of the patient who has a BMI of 28. It's impossible. So again, it's going back to that first point I made of lining up expectations and goals. And don't you think photos speak a thousand words? Absolutely. I show, um, I, I show all, you know, I show patient examples of the surgeries they're going to have. So if we're talking about an arm lift, I'll show them my uh, examples of some arm scars. Um, by far the most common uh, body part I'm operating on is the abdomen. Um, so that's the one I routinely show. And I try to explain to patients who come in when they are still in that obese category or BMI over 35, um, I show them uh, what visceral fat is and what subcutaneous fat is. Um, And for the people listening, visceral fat is the fat that's internal and around your organs, um, whereas subcutaneous fat means fat underneath the skin. Um, And that weight loss is going to target both, but that surgery can only target the fat that's under the skin. So if you have a lot of visceral fat, that's, again, the fat around the organs, that's something patients have to um, decrease via weight loss and not by surgery. 
And I think when you're educating and showing this way, it makes much more sense. As medical professionals, we talk about BMI and this and that. And, and many patients have heard that term. But if you were to say, do you know what BMI is? They would, we might get that deer in the headlight look. So I think when you then take that and turn it into, okay, let me show you what I mean with this look and what the surgery looks like. I think that is so helpful. In fact, this next question from Christine really leads into that when you were talking about um, surgery on your arm. She wants to know what the recovery time is on a tummy tuck specifically. So, um, you know, what I typically tell patients, and, and we get this question all the time, like I was saying earlier, that's very subjective in the sense that, you know, it depends on what you're defining as recovery time. Is it um, the time to drive a car? Is it time to go to the gym? Um, so I tell patients on average, it takes about two to three weeks before patients are comfortable driving you know, driving their car, um, doing errands like going to the grocery store. Um, we typically wait, uh, tell patients to wait for one month before they can get underwater, like a pool or jacuzzi um, swimming, and then six weeks um, before we let them go to the gym or do any kind of strenuous activity. Okay, so thinking along those lines, Janice wants to know, how much benefit is there to working out regularly, so building muscle in this case, before having plastic surgery? Uh, so I would say it's a tremendous benefit. So working out is going to have um, infinite, an infinite number of um, improvement in health quality of life. Um, and in terms of, it doesn't necessarily help you go through plastic surgery, but certainly people who tend to work out tend to do better and recover faster. Um, the one, um, I should say downside, it's not really a downside, um, is that you will lose a lot of your, um, I don't know if stamina is the right word or endurance, but you know, I always tell patients, if you're someone who runs 10 miles a day or lifts a hundred pounds going into plastic surgery, remember, we're going to stop you for about six weeks. So six weeks later, you're not going to be go back to running 10 miles right away or lifting 100 pounds. So you have to build that stamina or endurance back up. Um, and you know, that's, that's so true, Dr. Betis, regardless if it's surgery, or if you're ill with a flu or COVID or anything else, you the more bed rest you have, the more con deconditioned you become very quickly. And you truly do have to build back to where you were. Exactly. That's a great analogy. Uh, all right, so Susan wants to know, if you have your stomach skin removed, do you always have to repair muscle? So absolutely not. Great question. Um, and I think this will tie into one of the other questions we um, address later. But the vast majority of uh, patients who come in to get their skin removed, um, as I said earlier, the most common body part is the abdomen. Um, insurance will sometimes cover that. And typically that's about the only thing we can get covered is the abdominal skin removal. Um, and for the vast majority of my patients, I would say who go through insurance, um, they elect to only have the part that's covered by insurance and that is only the skin removal. Um, and then I have a subset of patients who maybe the insurance doesn't cover or they get denied or they don't get, they don't meet the insurance criteria, even if they do have benefits. Um, and sometimes they'll pay for it out of pocket. Um, and there certainly is an option to pay to have the skin removed without having the muscles tightened. Okay. So Susan also says here, I've heard that your inner thighs are very difficult to heal. Is there any truth to that? Um, yes and no. I won't say that it's um, difficult to heal. I would put it differently. I would say it's a difficult recovery. Um, 
you know, with, with skin removal, I always tell patients the most common complication um, is developing a wound uh, where, you know, part of the incision opens. Um, and that's not to scare people, but again, just to set the expectation that that is a very common um, complication or side effect. Now, typically, the vast majority of these are very small. And by that, I mean, it, it can be covered by a Band-Aid. Um, now, if you're, if I think what the patient maybe meant to say was that it's a difficult recovery. And that is absolutely um, true, at least from what I've heard uh, patients tell me. Um, the inner thighs, especially when the scar is the vertical scar um, along the inner thigh from the groin to the knee, um, has about a three-week recovery period. And patients say it just kind of knocks you down. I can imagine. One of the reasons that we want their protein level high in their diet to help with that healing for sure. <laughs> and you are absolutely right. That's one of the things we push patients and tell them. Um, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong as, as this is your field of expertise, but, you know, typically after weight loss surgery, I think a patient's supposed to be between 60 and 80 grams of protein a day. Um, but that doesn't account for a major stressor like surgery and trying to heal. So we typically tell patients, you really have to get around hundred to 120 grams a day yep. going into and after plastic surgery. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Definitely. All right. So Christina says... What is the difference between all the abdominal surgeries? And she says, I'm talking about tummy tuck versus mommy makeover versus paniculectomy versus fleur-de-lis. She says, I have chosen the fleur-de-lis for my first surgery coming up in January, but I don't really know what I'm choosing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that we definitely need some answers to this one then. I think that's a little bit... Here we go, Christina. (laughs) That's a little bit scary if you don't know what you chose, but um, I'll try to clear it up. So I'll start with the one... I won't start with the first one. I'm going to start with mommy makeover um, because that one's a really broad term and is a pretty um, recent term in plastic surgery. So a mommy makeover doesn't actually mean any one surgery. Uh, but it's typically the combination of doing something to the breasts and doing something to the abdomen. Um, so that can be a reduction in a tummy tuck. It can be an augmentation in a, in a paniculectomy, which is the skin removal without the muscle repair. Um, it doesn't actually mean one surgery. It's just rejuvenating a mom um, after she's had kids, you know, in her 30s, let's say, or 40s, um, or even 50s if she waits a little bit longer. Um, but it's rejuvenating that body back to a kind of pre um pre-pregnancy state. Um, now going to, I'll, then I'll go to paniculectomy. So paniculectomy, as I was saying earlier, um, is the skin removal without the muscle repair. So that's typically what insurance will cover um, when, when patients have benefits. Uh, a tummy tuck is uh, what we call an abdominoplasty. Those are the same thing. So that will be a paniculectomy, which is again, skin removal plus the muscle repair. Um, and then sometimes we add liposuction. And finally, FDL, which is what Christina chose, um, stands for fleur-de-lis. And what that is, is a paniculectomy or tummy tuck, um, or abdominoplasty, I should say, plus an incision that goes up and down um, on the center of the abdomen. So it starts in the breastbone and ends in the pubic area. So the final scar on an FDL looks like an upside-down T. Um, And what that does is it addresses the extra skin in the um, upper abdominal area above the belly button. Um, It's not, not everyone's a good candidate for it, but in patients who have that extra skin in that area, um, it is a great option. Wonderful. Thank you. That, I think that is very helpful. What all you just shared. Thank you so much. Okay. In our time that remains, we have a few more. Let's see if we can get to 
one of the questions was, how many skin removals can be done together? Arms, legs, breasts? <laughs> what do you say to that one? So again, depends on um, individual patient health and um, comorbidities, meaning, you know, are you diabetic? Do you have heart problems? Um, but in someone who's uh, young and healthy, um, I shouldn't even say young. I've done, I've done several cases together on an older patient, but let's say healthy with minimal comorbidities, which is the vast majority of weight loss patients. Um, I'll typically combine up to three body parts. Um, so that can be arms, upper back, breasts, or it can be breast, abdomen, thigh. Um, I typically don't recommend combining the arms and the legs in the same surgery. Um, but like I said, up to three body parts at the same time. Okay. So next question, how far apart should you schedule multiple surgeries? I think that's a great question. That is a great question. So again, keeping in mind that you're down for about six weeks um, after each surgery, I typically recommend about three months. Um, Again, if you're fit, healthy, have a good lifestyle, um, I would say minimum three months. And Dr. Bathis, we're talking about general anesthesia on every one of these, right? Correct. For in, in my patients or in my hands. Yes. Okay. So uh, this is one a lot of people don't like to hear, but I really think it's important. Let's talk about the flip side. What are some of the risks and what are the, the issues, complications, or just problems that you see most often? So like I said earlier, by far the most common is getting a wound. And again, those are typically um, fairly small wounds that we can cover with a Band-Aid. It, it can be a nuisance for patients. Um, it rarely requires going back to the operating room. It occasionally will require um, a cleaning up in the clinic. Um, you know, the scarier things, um, I would say, are getting blood clots in your calves, what we call DVTs, deep venous thromboembolism. Um, and that can be fatal if it goes to the lungs, which is known as a pulmonary embolism or PE. Um, that is... N- I don't want to say common, but it's a, it's a rare, um, but obviously potentially fatal complication. Um, I personally uh, give all my patients heparin, which is a blood thinner in the preoperative area. Um, if the surgery is over a certain amount of time and if they meet certain criteria, which most weight loss patients do. Um, other risks, you know, poor scarring. Um, I would say patients are concerned about that, about scarring. Um, and then uh, one of the other common ones we see would be uh, recurrent skin laxity, meaning, um, you know, we do an arm lift six months later, um, your skin has stretched out again and you have uh, loose skin and I can re- redo the surgery. Um, and that's not so much um, the fault of your surgeon. It's just that some patients have very elastic skin. Um, that's why women, uh, when they're pregnant, stretch a different amount and have a different amount of loose skin after they deliver. Um, and so similarly, after surgery, uh, the skin can can rebound, um, and then you might need another revision down the line. And I warn all my patients about that. Okay, great. All right. So as we wrap up, what my final question for you is going to be, what takeaways do you want to leave us with that you always want your plastic surgery patients to know? Oh, great question. Um, I would say number, I would say two things if I can say two. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I would say the first is make sure you are um, visiting a board certified plastic surgeon because there are many surgeons out there who will call themselves cosmetic surgeons or board certified in cosmetic surgery, which is not the same thing. 
um, and I can share a link with you or where pa- potential patients can check on their, um, their surgeon of choice to determine whether they are certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Um, that would be great. Well, I'm thinking about it. If you will send me that link, I will include it in the show notes. Yes. And in my mind, the analogy I tell patients is it's like if you if you don't go see a board certified plastic surgeon, it's like going to a plumber, you know, having a plumber come in and do your electric work. And it's absolutely not something that you want. Um, and the second big thing I would say is, and again, this is just my opinion, um, but I would see a surgeon who has a lot of experience with weight loss patients um, because for some of the reasons we talked about earlier, like recurrent skin laxity and, and some of the anatomy and techniques that we use, um, weight loss patient tissue does not handle like someone who's not lost, you know, 50, 100, 200 pounds. Great. Thank you, Dr. Betis. I, I so appreciate you taking time away from a busy surgery schedule to not only be available, to, just to rapid fire answer all of these, these questions. I know that my listeners appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. I'm happy to come back anytime. Well, don't forget, if you're not receiving the weekly Breaking Down Nutrition newsletter, you can sign up for it on the homepage of my website, BreakingDownNutrition.com. You'll be the first to hear about interesting guests on the podcast, just like Dr. Betis, nutrition tips, recipes, and new products. I'm all about your success because you're worth it. Bariatric Surgery Success with Dietitian Dr. Susan Mitchell is produced and owned by Practicalories, LLC, all rights reserved. Remember, the content provided on this podcast is for information purposes only and doesn't create a patient-provider relationship. It's intended to provide reference material and is not designed to provide medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider regarding any medical issues you have relating to symptoms, conditions, diseases, diagnosis, treatments, and side effects. Podcast guests express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions, which do not necessarily reflect or agree with the host, Dr. Susan Mitchell, or Practicalories, LLC.